I'm very excited and honored to introduce our guest speaker tonight. Um, he is an amazing man of God. Um, as many of you know from my Facebook status, he's also a Mennonite, and he is from Canada. Um, but, but more than all of that, um, he is a pastor of New Philadelphia Church. He's one of the leadership pastors and in charge of the worship ministry. And I deeply love and honor and respect this man. And so please give a warm round of applause to Pastor John Newfeld. Right, I'm very honored to be here at SNU. I, I came once last semester, had a fantastic time. And to be here for your last large group here at SNU is, is special for me. And it's, um, it's really encouraging to me to see how awesome you guys are, how awesome a time you're having in the place of praise here. Because that's uh, my primary role at New Philly is... Uh, Executive Director of Worship. Now that sounds kind of, you know, what does that even mean? Executive Director, because worship encompasses a lot, by the way. Um, and so it, it, it doesn't encompass as much as it sounds, but anyways, uh, I'm responsible or oversee the worship teams, uh, the praise leaders of our different campuses and our different campus ministries, including this one. So I directly oversee Sarah and also Johnny as well. Uh, as a praise leader who's up and coming in our church. And so I had a fantastic time worshiping the Lord today. And uh, honestly, I don't get that that often because usually I'm either leading praise or I'm running around making sure everything's okay. And tonight I just let myself worship. And it, it was the Spirit of God is in this place and God's stirring up a sincere heart of worship among you. And that's special. And, uh, yeah, so thank you. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you, Johnny. Thank you. All of you contribute, by the way, to the presence of God being here. I don't know if you, if you knew that or not, but it's not like you get an anointed praise leader who comes up and leads praise, and he's like the make-or-break factor for how worship goes. It's like everyone in the room plays a role in inviting the presence of God into a place through praise. Everyone in their worship, invites God together. And so that was happening here tonight. I love it. I love worshiping the Lord. And I love seeing people worship the Lord, which is good because that is the bulk of my job description when you boil it down. It's a great job. Um, and by the way, did you, did you hold off on praise for me? Oh, okay. I, I thought you like because it was like seven fifteen. You hadn't started praise. I felt so special because I thought I thought you guys like waiting for me. I'm like, thank you. That made a bit. It wasn't Ron. It was the Lord. He knew that I, I wanted it. So, thank you, Lord. Thank you. I I received that. Uh, as you guys know, if you've been at Emmaus this semester. You've been feeling and experiencing a measure of fire this semester, right? Uh, fuego, you know, it's, it's lighted up. It's, uh, it's a lot of people experiencing the presence of God in a 
a tangible way, and some more than others, obviously. Uh, but God's been moving in a manifestation of fire in the spirit that's been pretty special this semester. I've been observing Emmaus semesters. I've been in Korea for a long time. I've been in Korea for about 10 years, actually. For a white guy, it's a long time. Yeah. And so I've been, yeah. When I first came, there were like, seriously, there were like two Starbucks in all of Seoul. And now there are like 5,000 or something. I don't know how many. But uh, things have changed. I've been here a long time. Something special happening this semester in regard to fire. And so I wanted to talk about fire a little bit. I want to talk about a couple of things. There are a couple of things that God has laid on my heart for us as a, as a community here tonight, or for you guys as a community here tonight. But um, thinking about fire. Now, I have a lot of experiences. With, I've had a lot of experiences with fire growing up in the middle of nowhere in Canada. Okay? When you grow up outside of the city, you have more access to fire. In the city, you know, in Seoul, you see sometimes you see like construction workers and they gather around like the middle, you know, and they, they warm their hands. They got their, you know, scraps of wood in there. But in general, in the city, you don't see a lot of fire. Usually it's illegal, you know, largely in cities. But in the country, you have as much fire as you want and you do whatever you want with it. Yeah, see, Rona, you had lots of fires, right? Yeah. So, actually, my parents, this is something that's going to be, it's pretty unique. My parents, uh, their house, the house that I grew up in my entire life growing up, uh, was heated by wood stove. In Canada, where it's really cold, so you need heat, right? Um, For my entire, for their entire time in that house until this, this winter, actually. This is their first winter where their house is not being heated primarily by wood stove. So I grew up with a lot of fire. I grew up like the fireplace in the house, like as a little boy making fires so that our house would stay warm. Uh, my mom is a little bit of, um, she can be a little bit of a pyromaniac. My mom really likes fire. She... Uh, we got, we, I lived out in the country, so we had these fields, right? And sometimes you, you know, burn off the field if you know anything about farming um, so that it can prepare for next year. And uh, there was one year where um, my mom really wanted to burn off the field. She was like, she needed to get it done, but you need the, like, the, the perfect weather conditions for it. Like you can't, there can't be a breath of wind, basically. You need a very calm day. But there was a bit of wind that day, and my mom was set on burning off this field. And so uh, the fire kind of took off, and we nearly, we have a barn, you know, back there, nearly burnt down the barn. Our house has almost burnt down before. Uh, so I grew up with fire. That, that's the point of what I'm trying to tell you here. And uh, so I know a few things about it. And one thing I know about fire, very important, This is the crux of what I'm talking about tonight. That for a fire to continue burning, it requires fuel. If you do not have fuel, you will not have fire for very long. That fuel can be wood, it can be coal, it could be like gasoline, 
that's pretty dangerous, you know, for fire. Don't go throwing on a bunch of gas onto a fire unless you're being very careful with it. But you need some kind of fuel to keep your fire burning. Otherwise, it's going to burn out and you're not going to have anything. Does that make sense? So, the fire that you've been experiencing here in the spirit, if you were to want it to continue burning, you would need fuel for that fire to continue burning. It's not like you could have a, you know, an incredible experience at an altar, you know, at one of the, the services that you've been to at New Philly or at Emmaus, and you get, you know, fire comes on, you feel hot, or you might experience some revelation uh, one night from the Lord, and you feel, you know, fired up for the Lord. You know, that's good, but you can't keep going from experience to experience to experience and expect to be burning the whole way through unless there's fuel there. And the Lord wants you to continue to fuel your fire. Right now, you might feel like that fire is small. Right now, you might feel like that fire is large and burning strongly. But regardless of how big that fire, you feel that fire is inside of you, you're going to need fuel. And what I want to talk about tonight is the fuel of revelation. And more particularly, the fuel of the revelation of the love of God. See, that's, that's good fuel for your fire, is revelation. You know, Emmaus, where the ministry gets its name from, obviously, or I shouldn't say obviously, if you've been here for a long time, <laughs> if it's your first night, you obviously don't know anything about that, or you probably don't. Uh, but Luke 24 is where you get it from, right? It's a couple of believers on the road to Emmaus. Jesus meets them, and they don't know he's Jesus, the resurrected Jesus. They think he's dead, and they don't know who the stranger is. And while he's speaking about the scriptures, while he's unpacking the Old Testament for them, it says later in that passage that their hearts burned inside of them. There was a burning in their hearts in response to the revelation of Jesus. It was revelation that caused their hearts to burn. And I think of the Apostle Paul. And I want you to turn here. This actually, I wasn't thinking about this, and this just came to mind while we were worshiping the Lord tonight. Uh, turn to Second Corinthians 5. Yeah, Second Corinthians 5. Second Corinthians is after First Corinthians, just after Romans, but before Galatians. It's kind of it's pretty close to the end of the Bible. And I've got the the NIV Bible tonight, but in verse fourteen, actually, let's go a bit further, a bit uh, earlier, I should say. Let's go to verse eleven. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade men. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is, it, what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind, it is for the sake of God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. Verse 14, for Christ's 
love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. Christ's love, Paul is saying in this passage, is what compelled him, what propelled him, what fueled him to do what he did. The love of Christ. That's what he identifies here. Now I want you to turn a few pages after that. 2 Corinthians 11. And Paul's going to explain what he's been through lately. Okay? 2 Corinthians 11. Let's look at verse 21. Halfway through verse 21 it says, What anyone else dares to boast about, I am speaking as a fool, I also dare to boast about. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am out of my mind to talk like this. He says that again. I am more. I have worked much harder, been imprisoned more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in dangers of bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in dangers from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches who is weak and i do not feel weak who is led into sin and i do not inwardly burn if i must boast i will boast of the things that show my weaknesses and so forth there that shows you what paul's been through lately and you go back to chapter five and he says it's christ's love that compels me it's christ's love that has enabled me to be shipwrecked three times flogged severely been exposed to death Five times receiving the 40 lashes minus one. You know what 40 lashes? There was this, there was this punishment uh, given out by Romans at that time uh, that they called 40 lashes minus one. It was lashed with a, well, it depends on which circumstance you remember, with a whip or with a flog, with nails and teeth. And honestly, I'm not sure right now without looking at it what that is now. But 40 lashes was meant to kill someone. And so they didn't want to kill someone. They wanted to take them to the point of death and then leave them to suffer. Paul said he experienced that five times. And it was Christ's love that compels him. The best fuel for your fire is a revelation of the love of God. The love of God will take you through anything. That revelation And so now, I, I want to take us to Romans 8. We're going to spend most of our time tonight talking about insight from this passage, again from the Apostle Paul, about the love of God and how that can be fuel for your fire. Romans 8, we're looking at verse 28. And before we actually do it, let me pray. Father, I thank you for your presence in this place. I thank you for your great and unending love for everyone 
of these students, Father. For the depth and the zeal of your love for them, Father. I ask, Lord, by your spirit, you would shine forth light, God, into every heart, God. That you would pour out the spirit of wisdom and revelation unto a knowledge of you and unto a knowledge of your love in this place tonight. Holy Spirit, come do all that you desire to do during the time of releasing your word. We love you and we thank you. Amen. Amen. Okay, so we're at Romans 8, 28. Let me read this for us. To verse 34. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. I'll stop there. Now, Romans 8 finds itself kind of in the middle of this book that the Apostle Paul wrote to a, the church in the city of Rome. He'd never actually met the church in person at this point. But he writes this letter basically as to answer questions that the Romans had in regard to salvation and sin and the law and the difference between Jews and Gentiles, those sorts of things. The first seven chapters of this book is really a history, you could say, of the human race in regard to sin and in regard to redemption. He's laying out for you in the first section of the book of Romans why sin came into the world, how that impacts us, how we're all sinners apart from the grace and the love and the blood of Jesus, and what we can do to find salvation in him. And then... Chapter 8, verse 1, is one of the most victorious verses in the entire Bible, I would say. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We've probably heard that a number of times. Hopefully, many of us have. And by the end of this chapter, he's talking about the Holy Spirit and life by the Spirit. And he's just building up and building up and building up. And this is his big climax now in the book. This is because of what Jesus has done, this is where we're at. And he's revealing something very powerful about the love of God and what that means for us in this passage. I want to look at two insights in particular into the love of God that Paul teaches on and reveals in this passage. Okay? The first insight from this particular passage here in Romans 8 is that God is committed to making you like Jesus. God is committed to making you like Jesus. God loves you so much. He is so for you 
that he is committed in his heart to make you into the image of his son, Jesus. That's powerful. I don't know about you, but that, that is, when you think about it, there's actually nothing more loving in the world that God can do for you right now than to make you like Jesus. You might want all sorts of things for your life. You might have all sorts of dreams for your life, but God's dreams for you are better than any dreams that you have for yourself. Let me assure you of that. God's love is full for you right now. And the best thing he could do for you, the most incredible thing that he could do for you is to make you like Jesus. The thing is, it doesn't happen instantly. And it doesn't happen without a struggle. It doesn't happen without pain. And God knows all of that. But God is committing, committed to making you like him and taking you down that road on that journey. Now you think about all that Jesus is and all that was revealed about Jesus when he was on earth. In his love his authority, his anointing, his patience, his joy, his wisdom, his peace. God wants all of that, the fullness of that for you. And bit by bit, he's taking you there. And it says in Romans 8.28, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. In every single thing that you experience, when he says all, I think he actually means all. I think he actually, like, that's, that word all is what it, is, is exactly what it looks like. In everything, in all that you experience, in all things, in every day, in every hour, in every situation, God is taking those situations, whether they're joyful or, you know, are, whether they're painful, whether they're pleasurable, whatever they might be, God is taking that and he's using it to make you like Jesus. He turns everything around for your good. No matter what it is, God doesn't waste a thing. I think of, I I use this this illustration, I think at New Philly a year or two ago. Connects with some people, doesn't connect with others. I'll try it here, see how it goes. If you know anything about Native Americans... Or Aboriginal people. Yeah. And how they... <laughs> I'm not sure exactly what they meant. And, and how they killed buffalo and other animals and how they used the different parts of the animal, they were sure to not waste any of the animal. I mean, you had ignorant white people, like myself, right? I represent white people. My... Uh, Rona's half white. Yeah. Oh, Michelle. Michelle's half white too. So you guys can all take responsibility with me for this. Ignorant white people who came to America and came to Canada and they would kill buffalo and they would, uh, you know, kill bison, other animals, and they would, they would kill them either just for game or they would kill them for a bit of meat, but they would waste them. And the buffalo became nearly extinct because of it. That's true. Endangered species. 
But the Native Americans or the Aboriginal people or the First Nations people, they would take every single part that they could and they would turn it around for something useful. They would use the fur for clothing. They would eat the meat. Some of that meat became jerky that they used for food as well. They used oils. They used the blood. They used uh, the bones for both weapons and tools. They were they understood something about nature. And they understood something about the value of the animal and how to even honor an animal in that sense, if that makes any sense. You know? But they didn't waste anything. The things that the ignorant white people didn't see any value in, the Native Americans saw great value in. Do you know that God sees great value in everything that you experience in life? It might, be, it might have been an embarrassing experience earlier today. Anyone have an embarrassing experience earlier today? You'd probably be embarrassed to share that you had an embarrassing experience earlier today. But, uh, but God can take that and he turns it around for good. There have been so many things I, I've faced in my life where I've wondered, why did that happen to me? You know, why did I have to go through that? I think, man, I, when I was in high school, I wasn't planning to share this. Just, this is just something that's coming right now. When I was in high school, I, I had a real, yeah, yeah. It, you can all help me with my H&D, right? Confession. <laughs> oh, man. When I was in high school, I had a very low self-esteem. Thank you. <laughs> it's very good. I'm training you all to be in H&D sessions and help bring people into freedom and wholeness. Uh, when I was in high school, I had a low self-esteem. I didn't. I was. I was very athletic. Did that. I was athletic. I was musical. I. You know. I was into like drama, that sort of thing. I had good grades in school, but I still had a very low self-esteem. I didn't like the way I looked when it came down to it. I just felt like, I just felt awkward. Like I never talked about it. It was just like, you know, you, you grow up and, and you're in high school and you, know, you go through awkward phases of growth, like different parts of your face are bigger than other parts of your face at different times, you know? If you're in someone's H&D session, don't start laughing. Just so you know. Tip for the future. It's okay, you can laugh at me now. Uh, but I, I wondered after, like, why did I struggle with that? Why did I wrestle with that? And like, and like acne and stuff like that. And just different things I just didn't like about myself. But it made me very soft toward people who struggle with the same things. And God really molded my heart in a place to be able to minister to and love on people who experienced the same sorts of things that I did when I was growing up. Turn to 2 Corinthians 3 for a minute. I'm having you flip around a lot, but it's just two books. Oh, sorry, 2 Corinthians 1 is what I meant. Second Corinthians 1, verses 3 and following. It says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles, 
so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. Wow, you know that your point of greatest struggle in your life could very well be the point of your greatest ministry in the future. The place where you felt hurt or abandoned or alone or abused or whatever it might have been. God doesn't make light of any of that, by the way. Because people in this room have gone through real struggles that have been incredibly painful. But God wants to take that pain and turn it around so that you can be a comfort to other people who have experienced similar things. He's redeemed you so that you can be a blessing to others. And in the process, he's making you like Jesus. God doesn't waste a thing. He makes you like Jesus every day, every hour. His heart is set on this one dream for you. I'm going to make that person like Jesus. I'm going to make Eddie like Jesus. I'm going to make Kelvin like Jesus. I'm set on it because of my love. And there's nothing more loving that I can do right now than use everything, whether, whether painful or not, to make this person more like my son Jesus, to operate in his love, his authority, his anointing, his wisdom, his love. It says in James 1, consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. God wants you to be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And he says it's going to come through trials and difficulties. And I tell you, one great standard of Christian maturity, it's not the standard, it's just a standard, is how you respond to troubles in your life. If you can see that trouble the way God sees it and rejoice because of what God is doing through it, that's a sign of maturity. And that's something I don't see that often, and I don't see it that often in my own life. Uh, the, the struggles I have and the, the failure I have to actually thank the Lord. Lord, thank you for this hardship. You know, thank you for this struggle in my life. Thank you because you're using that to make me more like Jesus. And that's what I want more than anything. I want to be like Jesus. That's the desire that the Lord has for you, and that's you partnering with his desire because he had it for you first. First insight from this passage that we're going to look at tonight is that God is committed to making you like Jesus. Second one we'll touch on, that God has already done the most extreme thing he could ever have done to show his love for us. God has already done the most extreme thing he could ever have done to show his love for us. This first, the first point was what God is doing right now to be as loving as he could possibly be for us. The second point is what God already has done to be as loving as he could possibly be to us. The most extreme thing. In giving up his own son, Jesus, 
to die on the cross in our place for our sin so that we could be the very righteousness of God, so that we could be accepted and included in the family of God, so that we could be adopted by God. Because, you know, the Bible, more than anything else, I would say the Bible is a love story. From beginning to end, it is a love story. You know, the the climax of the entire Bible, do you know what it is? I'll just say. I won't won't wait for guesses. The climax of the entire... That's pretty important, right? This is the most important book in the world. Would you agree? Yeah, I I hope so. Uh, And the most important point in it would be important then. Would be the most important thing in the entire world. Logically. The climax of the Bible is a wedding. It's a wedding between Christ and his bride. And the Bible from beginning to end is a love story explaining what that has been, what that is, and what that will be. It's a thread that runs throughout the entire thing. And throughout the entire Old Testament, you see God as a lover continually calling his beloved bride, his people, back to himself. Throughout the entire thing, it's a story of God's pursuit of people and people doing everything in their power to push God away from them when it comes down to it. People rebelling over and over and over again. People rejecting God over and over and over again. And God sent his prophets to his people time and time again to call them back, to let them know of his love for them, to let them know that there is judgment waiting for them. If they don't turn around, God is calling out to his people over and over again. But his people did not get it. And then I can imagine God come to the New Testament. I can imagine God in his mind, in his heart thinking, what more could I do to show my love to my people? What more is there that I could do to reveal how much I love them. I'm completely in love with them. What more can I do? And I can imagine God saying, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to send my own son, who I love more than anything, to die for them so that they can be redeemed back to me. I'm going to do the most extreme thing I could do. Now, God didn't do it necessarily because it was extreme. God did it because it was the only solution. It was the only way. And I'm I'm getting very close now to becoming a father. Yeah, my wife, Pastor Anita, she's very pregnant right now. She's, she's very pregnant. I won't say anything else. I won't say... She's just... She's very... She's in her third trimester. It's a very pregnant season, right? Okay. I haven't said anything offensive yet. <laughs> she's due to give birth January 6th. Our baby... I was sharing this with the, 
the worship teams and tech teams that our baby is bigger than the average baby for this time of the pregnancy. So please pray for my wife, Pastor Anita. Um, so this baby could be born even within a couple of weeks. We don't know. Yeah, this, this, this could happen very soon. And that's, I've heard from different people that, I mean, first of all, when you get married, you learn different things about who God is through marriage. Because marriage is a great picture of love and the love that God has for us and the love that God is growing in us for him. But it takes it to a different level when you become a parent and you become a father. And there's a whole new set of things that you learn about who God is as a father by being a father yourself. And even though our baby isn't born yet, I'm learning things about being a father. And we get to see our baby, you know, on these... Korea's got great technology, by the way. For like at, at the hospitals, like th- these 3D pictures that look really, like you can tell what our baby looks like already. Um, she's got, uh, basically looks like me up here and Anita down here. So far, she's like my eyes and she's got kind of a, like a white person's nose. You know, a bit, bit taller, but she's got Anita's mouth. Um, so I just needed to say that. <laughs> So, uh, uh, why was I saying that? I got sidetracked about my daughter. Yes, learn about being a parent. But to think about, you know, loving someone on earth to the extent that I would consider giving up my own daughter to die for that person you know what kind of love that would take if you had a son or a daughter and you said, you looked at this other person or this other group of people and you said, I love them so much. I love them so much that I would give up my own child whom I love more than anything to redeem those people to me. Like the Bible says, you know, Jesus says in John 15, greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. That's great love to lay down your life. Do you know what seems at least like Jesus has greater love than no one? I don't think Jesus had, he wasn't omitting this, but just to add this, what would it look like then for you to give up your own son or daughter for that person? Like I would give up myself I consider, you know, I, I, you know, if there's someone I love, like for my, my, my wife, I would give up my life to save her. That makes sense to me. But God loving us so much that he would give up his own son for us. Now with me being on the verge of being a father, that's taking on a whole new meaning. God's heart burns for us. It's so filled with zeal and fire for us. And the conclusion that Paul makes in regard to that revelation 
in this passage is that if God did that for us, why wouldn't he do anything else for us? Like, anything else compared to giving up your own son is very easy, you know? You want strength for the day? Done. That's easy. You want help, you know, studying for school? I got that. My spirit's on you. His grace is for you. I can help you with that, you know? You want anything on earth in accordance with his heart for you? He can do that for you. That's easy. He's going to provide for you all the way because he's shown the full extent of his love already in giving up his son. He went, he took things all the way and said, now everything over here, I got you. I love you so much. It's all for you. God's love for you is full and complete and perfect. There's nothing more he could have done in the past to show his love for you. Like the the, the mind of God is infinite, right? And the heart of God is infinite. And he could think of no greater thing to do to reveal his love than to give up his son. There's nothing greater than that. And right now, there's nothing greater he could do for you than to make you like his son Jesus. That's the ultimate. The ultimate thing he could do for you is make you like Jesus. His love, his strength, his wisdom, his authority and his anointing. I see a group of people right now in this room rising up in authority and anointing on this campus. I don't know how long you're here for. You might be gone at the end of this year, but God is raising up an army on this campus who is filling with his love. He is filling up with his anointing. He's filling up with his authority because he's set on building you up and using you for the glory of his name on this campus. He's committed not only to you, he's committed to the people out there who he's longing to touch through you. That was a side note. God wants to fuel the fire that exists inside of you. God loves fire, by the way. It says in the book of Hebrews that God is an all-consuming fire. Like there are many images of God in the Bible, but that one is, it's pretty intense. It says in the book of Revelation that Jesus' eyes, right now Jesus is, you know, as a real human being, a Jewish man in heaven right now, his eyes are like flames of fire. And his face is like the sun. God loves fire, make no doubt about it. And he wants to see that fire fueled in your life continually. And so I share these things, these revelations about the love of God, not just so you have a bit of fuel tonight to get you thinking about the love of God and get fired up about him a bit tonight. I share them to give you a taste, another taste, of what you continually can fill yourself with 
as you move on from this semester, as you finish up this semester, as you go on with the rest of your life. God wants you to continually fuel yourself with the revelation of his love for the rest of your life and for the rest of your eternal existence, by the way. We're going to continue to learn about the love of God for the rest of eternity. It's not going to end even when we die on earth because God's love is infinite. God wants you to know continually how much his heart burns for you. And there is no greater fuel that you will ever get than that. I'll tell you this, at IHOP, if you know International House of Prayer in Kansas City in the States, they have 24-7 prayer. They've been going at it for more than 10 years. It's been 12 or 13 years, something like that. It has not stopped. They keep praying day and night there, praying and worshiping. And if you talk with Mike Bickle, the the founder and the director of the House of Prayer there, he would say that what has fueled that movement is nothing less than revelation of the love of God, is intimacy with the Lord. This love is going to take you through all of the struggles, all the trials, all the temptations that you will ever face if you are continually feeding yourself with revelation from God's word about his love for you. And this is my heart for you. Not just that you are filled with the love of God and revelation of that tonight, but that when you are 30 years old, it's pretty old. I'm older than 30 years old. <laughs> when you're 30 years old, when you're, when you're 40, oh, Eugene's, yeah, Eugene's 32. It's pretty old. <laughs> when you're 40 years old, you know, when you're 50 years old, to be completely in love with Jesus then. It's not about just being in love with Jesus as a youth, as a young student. It's about being in lo- imagining yourself, seeing yourself as a 60-year-old man or woman on your rocking chair or wherever you're going to be and being totally, completely in love with Jesus. That, that's an image that I want us all to have for our lives. You know, whatever, you know, you've got your tea in one hand, you've got your... You know, you're, you're crocheting something. I don't know what you're doing as a 60-year-old. You know, if the Lord should tarry that long, if Jesus isn't back by then. But imagine yourself. I actually want us to spend a little bit of time in that image right now. But I want you to come up and, and play some keyboard.